And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, episode 142 of the Woe Is Me podcast, uh, formerly known as the Drop Set, but now it's just the place where I come on to complain about all the shit that's wrong with my life. So, uh, just kidding. That's not what's going to happen this week. Um, I am feeling pretty good right now. Uh, I had a repeat of last week on Monday where I sat down and I started to record a podcast and about 20 minutes into it, I said, nope, this is lousy. Uh, I mean, it was just terrible. It was bad and I'm not going to subject you guys to that. So that being said, this may also be terrible and lousy, but I will be subjecting you to this because I at least feel better. And so I feel better about uh, what I'm recording here. So on Monday, it was just, once again, it was like just constantly kind of in pain, distracted, just ranting, and not in an entertaining way at all. Just kind of like uh, aimlessly, and it was just, it would not have been good to listen to. So I did not save that. Uh, there will be no bloopers or outtakes from that or anything of the sort. So uh, as for me, I'm doing okay. So I've got a uh, wonderful root canal scheduled for Monday. But in the meantime, yesterday I went in for some kind of like a, I don't know, before your root canal kind of procedure just to um, deal with the pain that I was experiencing. And yeah, much better. So I haven't had, uh, I haven't had any uh, pain meds in close to 24 hours now and I'm feeling good. So it's a temporary thing. It'll last for a little while, um, long enough for me to get in and have the actual thing done on Monday. And my concern was then I'm flying out on Friday. I'm going across the country to go visit my family. I'm like, you know, should I worry about, you know, like, is there going to be a problem with this? And everybody assures me, no, no, it'll be fine. And, so I'm just here like, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I'll, uh, I'll see it when I, uh, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I'm a little skeptical as of right now, but yeah, whatever. Uh, so uh, a lot has happened since Friday. The Olympia uh, came and went, and so I want to talk about that a little bit. I've got a lot of stuff uh, from listeners to go through as well, some messages, uh, written messages, voice messages. So let's get right down to it. First things first, I was going on... Um, to npcnewsonline.com to pull up the Olympia Gallery here just to have it in front of me as I talk about this a little bit. And, I, you know, they, on their main page, they have a list of, uh, like, their, their featured shows section and the, the Olympia's up there. But then also they had this other one that was the, um, what, what is it called here? The NPC Iron House Classic. Where is it? I don't know. Um, they don't do a good job here of really giving much information about the show. It's just a gallery, basically, and it shows like the placings, who won, etc. But it doesn't, doesn't really have any information about you know where it was or anything like that. So uh, what do we see here? I'm just looking through. I'm looking through the photos. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. I just kind of want to get a sense for, and I do this periodically, just, you know, who's, who's one of these shows? What, what do the people look like? Um, because for NPC shows, that's relevant for what I do. Much more relevant than looking at the Olympia galleries, which is more of a curiosity spectator sport kind of thing this is actually like i, I would say that uh, looking at standard uh, you know local and regional npc show galleries is really uh it's it's professional research realistically just to kind of stay up on top of things i'm going to a show tomorrow which uh, i don't usually um but uh, a client of mine jesse he's competing down in uh chattanooga so i'm going to make the trip down there in the morning and check that out so um 
So I'm looking through these galleries here, and I notice a few things. I'm like, you know, the, the men's bodybuilding, the overall winner, um, he won the heavyweight class, and then there's a light heavyweight class. I'm like, well, he also won this novice class. Oh, novice heavyweight. Okay, so just looking at the, the lineup here. So men's bodybuilding, that's what, that's what I'm talking about here. Uh, there was one heavyweight. There were two light heavyweights. That was it for your open men's bodybuilding. Wow. Wow. Novice. Novice men's bodybuilding. One heavyweight, one lightweight, one middleweight. Wow. Three guys in novice men's bodybuilding. True novice um, had one guy. It's only one class. No weight classes for true novice. Just everybody, one guy. Uh, And then uh, there was also a, a bantamweight. So I guess there was actually... Four guys, because bantamweight would have been an open class. It's just separated out from everybody else here, so it's not listed with it. Um, then there were two guys, Masters 35+, plus, two guys, Masters 60+, plus, and one guy, Masters 70+. plus. So, uh, I mean, really weak showing there for men's bodybuilding. And then I'm looking at figure. Um, they have two classes, three in class A, two in class B. Wow. Wow. And novice figure, one in class A, two in class B. So you've got five competitors in open figure, three in novice. I'm like, wow, this is kind of a weak show. And then in bikini, you've got class A with nine, class B with 11, class C with seven, class D with three. So suddenly here you've got, you know, 40, 30-ish competitors um, in bikini. So that's where they're all coming in. Then you've got a bunch of novice classes. Um, True novice was one class that had 15 in it. So everybody's like, you know, what show should I do? I'm like, well, you know, if you're doing men's bodybuilding, this would have been a good show. If you're doing figure, this would have been a good show. If you're doing bikini, maybe not so much as far as like, you know, I think when you've got a class where you've got 10 or 15 to a class, you risk getting lost in the shuffle, even if you look really good. Um, and then men's physique had what? There were four classes here. ABCD had two, seven, four, and four. Um, novice had three classes, which was seven, three, and four. Uh, True Novice had seven, so, you know, reasonable showing there. Uh, Men's Classic Physique had a total of ten guys in open, three guys in Novice, one in Teen, one in True Novice. Um, And then Women's Physique had two. Uh, Two competitors, one in open, one in Novice, same person, and then one in Masters. Wow, okay, yikes. So it's a small show, I get that. I get that. The problem is your women's physique overall winner, of which, you know, there was one, so of course she's going to be the overall winner, is also the figure overall winner. And I, I'm looking at the photos, I have no problem with that. I'm like, yeah, she's she was clearly the best in women's physique. <laughs> she was the only one. She was also clearly the best in figure. No, no complaints there. My complaint is, and let me direct this specifically to the NPC. Yo, NPC. Do not allow competitors to cross over between categories. Tell them to pick a lane. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Nobody should be winning the overall in multiple categories. When you do that, you are just creating the need for you to add more calorie calories, more categories in the future because you're blurring the lines. Suddenly, you know, figure and physique, they already have so much crossover potential. Well, it should be one or the other. You should make somebody pick uh, and not let them do both. That is a huge problem in bodybuilding. Um, just like if you have a guy who's doing men's bodybuilding and he wants to cross over into classic physique, should not be allowed. Don't let him do it. 
Don't let him do it. I see that there are two guys here at least, um, you know, two two of the you know three or four bodybuilders that were in this show um, also crossed over into classic physique. Should not be allowed, uh, but it is. It is, and so as such, I've got a guy who's uh, competing soon, and he, right now we're kind of on the fence. Either one might end up doing both. It's allowed. Great. It shouldn't be allowed. As long as it is, yeah, we're going to capitalize on it and use some flexibility. But NPC, I'm asking, change the rules. Do not allow this. It is a problem, and you've got to fix it. So there you go. Now, on to the Olympia. I can sum up this Olympia in one word. Meh. I know Brandon Curry looked great. Does he look like an Olympia champion? Let's just dial it down a notch. Take take all of your, you know, emotional attachments to some of these competitors and you know having rooting for them and being a fan for years or whatever. Take a look at Brandon Curry from this weekend and take a look at past Olympia champions. Does he look like he belongs in that category? I'm going to say no. Does he look phenomenal? Yeah, absolutely. Does he look like the absolute best in the world? Oh man, blow you away. No, I don't see it. Um is he better than me? Fuck yes. Give me a break. That's not even a question. Uh, the, I, I hear a lot of people who are offering criticism for the competitors in this Olympia being called out like, well, what have you done? I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I've been unimpressed with Super Bowl champions in years past as well. That doesn't necessarily mean that I uh, am going to go on the field and do better. You can still be critical. Um, and really, it's, it's about the state of bodybuilding. Like, there was nobody up there that was really like, oh, man, holy crap. So and so brung it. It's like, eh, no, no. The uh, the third place guy, Hattie Chupan. Uh, I'm probably mangling that pronunciation. He's Iranian. Um, there were a lot of people who said, "Man, with the conditioning he brought, he probably should have been first. And I look at his physique, and I'm like, as soon as a physique like that wins the Olympia, I'm out. I mean, it's, it's not. It's yeah, really well developed, really well conditioning. Not a good physique. Not an Olympia physique blocky you know just not 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 a lot of flow no good lines to it or anything like that um it is not an olympia winner it really isn't so uh, it, it's lacking something from the guys it's just i'm not impressed i'm really not um i mean that takes nothing away from brandon curry who i'm really happy for and um uh, a big middle finger from from me to kai green for the way that he handled that on social media um, with a very sarcastic congratulations post to Brandon Curry with the two of them side by side where Kai was just blowing him away. This was from some show years back. Um, so clearly, you know, Curry's come up a little bit and Kai, shut the fuck up. Where have you been? You know what? You, you don't get a, you don't get to do stuff like that if you're not on stage. Sorry. Uh, it was weak, very, very weak. And people talk about, you know, uh, the winner of the Olympia is the ambassador to the sport. And a lot of people thought that Kai Green should have been that because he would have been a great ambassador to the sport. I disagree. Uh, he's, he's showing some really, really lousy sportsmanship for a contest that he wasn't even in. And uh, I thought that was pathetic. And so I'm going to call him out on that. Shut up, dude. Shut up. Go home. Oh, wait. You already stayed home. Sorry. Um, for the other categories, um, I don't know. I am... For 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 figure, I'm I'm just not impressed with the direction of it overall. It's like, yeah, everybody has a tiny waist, everybody has huge shoulders, bleh, they all kind of look the same, you know. Um, for bikini, I I honestly have nothing to offer on the bikini competition um, other than um, first place kind of soft, second place not so much. Um, I don't know. I, I was not impressed with uh, with the woman who took first. Um, and again taking nothing away from the work that they put in. 
but for Olympia winners, I expect to be just freaking wowed. And I wasn't here. I wasn't. Um, men's physique, I, I don't really have a whole lot to say. 212s, I don't have a whole lot to say. Um, classic physique was interesting. There was a lot of uh, a lot of conversation, a lot of chatter going back and forth between Chris Bumstead and Breon Ansley. Um, I don't know. If, there, there's another point to make here. Um, first of all, uh, for uh, physique, uh, no big surprise, Shanique Grant wins again. I'm on record as saying I'm, I'm not a huge fan of her physique, um, basically because it's just it, it's cartoonish proportions, um, and it's I, I don't know it's just it's not realistic to me. And yeah, I mean that it sounds hypocritical now because you're saying like, well, you know what you were saying before with men's bodybuilding is that it what's it's uh, you know it's not cartoonish enough, and here it's too cartoonish. I get that, but um, her proportions are just unique and I feel like she is um rewarded in show after show after show for having just a freakishly genetically tiny waist um the rest of her physique is not bad I mean it's, it's really good it's solid it's it's very good but I don't know I I, I have a hard time I have a hard time articulating why I'm 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 not wowed I'm going to come back to that maybe. I don't know. And then one other note here is just regarding fitness. If you look at one and two in the fitness category, um, very, very interesting. Because number one, um, good development, you know, good conditioning, solid. Looks like she could cross over to figure probably. Um, and then number two, much bigger, much softer. Um, could have crossed over into physique, um, but would have placed really low because the conditioning just wasn't there just was not there really really kick-ass fullness really just big really big one and two it's like really because those physiques really are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum now i know in fitness also they score the um uh they score the routine and so i don't know what their routines look like just going by the the comparisons though it's like Man, for, for one and two, I would expect them to have some similarities, and really they could not be any further apart on the spectrum. Really kind of weird. So what it comes down to here, uh, and the way that uh, the, the analogy that I've... And actually, if you, if you look at, if you go to the NPC News Online coverage for the Olympia and just click on the page, the comparison shot, the comparison shot that comes up is of the, um, the top four for the fitness category. So you can see number one is uh, second, second to the right, Second from, hold on, second from the right. And then number two is far right. Um, and you can just see the huge, huge differences in their physiques. Uh, just ridiculous, crazy, crazy different. Um, but that's one and two um, versus, you know, three and four who look more in line with first place. So I don't know if number two just had a really awesome routine or what was going on there. Un unsure, unsure. So I, it, it occurred to me that, Bodybuilding is kind of like the NFL if you take the worst parts of the NFL. And so specifically, like, what made me stop watching football? There were a lot of things. First of all, I, I got my hands on a lot of different things. There's a lot of things that I like to do, and uh, they're time-consuming. And taking one of my, my slower days, Sunday, and just dedicating it to watching football and TV – that was great when I was younger, and now I'm like, I got other shit to do. I, I just don't have time for that. So uh, I will pull up the scores occasionally and just look and see like who had a good performance and who didn't. And more and more now these days, I pull up those things. I look at the box scores. And I'm like, yeah, I have no idea who half these quarterbacks are. <laughs> like I'm so out of the loop. It's it's kind of embarrassing, but there you go. 
Um, but what really kind of turned me off was a, a few years back when there was uh, really starting to be this problem in the NFL of, is it a catch? Is it not a catch? And this uh, whole debate erupting on you know the rules for determining if something is a catch, where you know a guy can uh, catch the ball, land on it, maintain possession, but then stand up and the ball slips out, and in you know ninety five percent of recorded history of the NFL that would be ruled a fumble, but now it's suddenly not a catch at all. Like what? That doesn't make any sense at all. You're completely changing the rules and the definition of what a catch is. But it becomes this totally subjective thing. Um, and it's the worst part of the sport. It's like suddenly we're arguing whether or not this is a catch. And it's like, well, I think it is. Well, I don't think it is. Well, what's the official think? Because his, his is the opinion that matters. That's what bodybuilding is. It's the worst part of the NFL. It's completely and totally subjective. But it's as if there was a play on the field. It, it went under review. And the official came back and rendered a verdict with no explanation. That's kind of what bodybuilding is like. Because you don't get any explanation as to why somebody is first, why somebody is second. You can see the score sheet. You can see what each judge thought as far as placing, but nothing as far as criteria that they're being judged on. Just, well, this judge thought this person was first. So did this one. So did this one. This one had him second. This one had him third. These last two judges had him first. So therefore, points, they're first. Okay, why did each judge have them in that order? You know, I've talked about this before and how I think judging should be changed so that um, people are, are competitors are scored on the categories that are written up as being what they are judged on. So they, they receive a conditioning score. They receive a size score. They receive a fullness score. They receive a presentation and posing score. Um, and those can be weighted, but then they're tabulated and then a winner is determined that way. So that way, if, if somebody can say like, well, you know, this person scored really well on size and conditioning and symmetry, but their posing and presentation were off, but we're only counting that for 15% of their score. So while they were probably fifth in that category, they were first in everything else. We weighed it in such a way that, you know, okay, they're, they're still a clear winner in this division. Or, man, they were great on those, but they, they scored 13th in posing and presentation. They were terrible there. And even though they were the biggest, the most conditioned, and the most symmetrical, they couldn't show it. We don't give that as much weight as the others, but they were bad enough in that category, it cost them first place. You can see why. You can see why the biggest, most conditioned dude or chick on stage didn't win. I mean, I think there's some value in that, and each category can have their own criteria. So maybe in the bikini division, posing and presentation counts for 40%. In men's bodybuilding, maybe it counts for 12%. I don't know, but I think that's a conversation worth having, and that will bring a lot more legitimacy to this whole thing and make it so that, yes, it's still subjective, but it's not 100% subjective and uh, open to just, you know, flat out bribes. Like people have to be like, okay, you rated this person first on size. They're clearly not the biggest person on stage. What's your damn problem? You know what? You can't be a judge anymore. <laughs> I mean, I would love to see something like that happen. It never will, but I would love to see it nonetheless. So anyway, until then, bodybuilding just becomes uh, competitive. Bodybuilding just remains being uh, basically the worst part of the NFL, uh, completely subjective with no explanation. So you can be like, I like this guy's physique more. I like this guy's physique more. Well, okay. The only opinion that matters is that of the judge. Oh, apparently I like this guy's physique more. Why? I don't know. But and yet we tolerate that. We we allow that as competitors, as fans. 
we allow that. And so this is me using my voice for however I can, which is to say not a whole lot, but I'm using it nonetheless to say, I don't accept that. I don't, I don't find that satisfactory. I don't find that compelling. I don't find that worth our time and effort to invest into this. Um, if the, uh, if, if the judging criteria are going to be so completely shrouded in mystery and, uh, as competitors, we are not seen as being important enough to give uh, to give proper reasoning to and justification for placings. I don't think I'm asking for too much here. So that started as an Olympia recap and devolved, evolved, devolved maybe into more more of a rant. But nonetheless, uh, it is uh, it is how I feel. So, um, so. I'm going to move on now uh, because we, we have more to talk about and I don't even know where to start. So I'm going to um, start. Actually, I do know where to start. There was a message that came through from Instagram that I want to hit up here. So um, this comes from Morgan Clark. And thank you, Morgan, for sending this in. He sent this in a little over a week ago. I was a little slow responding to him and just letting him know that we were going to be addressing this today. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, he has a, a good topic. So I wanted to just read his question and then we'll dig into it here. So, um, Morgan says, and I, oh, sorry, <clears throat> and I quote, hey, Darren, new follower with some questions. Just started listening to the podcast last week, and I love it. So my questions are regarding transition into off season. Little info first. I'm prepping now for my first show at the end of September with the help of a coach. I just received from some feedback from a source on starting the off season officially 40 days after you compete. What are your feelings on the time to take between show and off-season for diet and workout? Also, if you feel there needs to be this period or period in between competition and off-season slash bulk, what would you do for eating and working out? Light deload type workouts with a build-up to maintenance macros or something else? Look, Thanks for your time. Look forward to hearing back from you. Thanks, Morgan. So, no, Morgan, thank you, because that is a fantastic question. I do appreciate that. So, a lot of stuff to unpack there. And the first thing um, I'm going to say... Uh, so. There's an answer for this, and we all know it already. Let's say it in unison here on three. You ready? One, two, three. It depends. Yeah, okay. So it depends on, you know, what does it depend on? The biggest thing it depends on is uh, what was your prep like? How hard was it? How drained do you feel? And there could be a lot of factors that go into that because it may be, you know, in terms of caloric deficit or cardio load or your know, workout volume, maybe it wasn't that bad, but maybe you were stressed to the max for other reasons, in which case, while your, your deficit and your cardio load may not feel like a whole lot, it's all piling onto your adrenal system in a slightly you know, more aggressive way just because of your overall stress that could be, you know, family related, work related, whatever, anything like that. Um, and so it's going to have a bigger impact. And so after the show, your body is going to have that release of stress just because, you know, maybe the, the, the other stress factors are still in there, but you've got some of it that can go away. Like this show certainly is a stress factor as well. You know, maybe it's not all negative, maybe it's positive, but nonetheless, you go, you, you go into it, you come out of it, and there's this big, big sigh of relief. And so how your body responds there, and it's determined by you know how you led up to it, is going to have a big influence on what you do next. So, um, you know, looking back to my cut last year, which, you know, I, I was, it was for a photo shoot, but I treated it like a contest prep. Um, and realistically it was the first prep I've done in a while where I saw it through to the end and it was pretty pleased with the result, but it was very stressful. You know, there was, 
you know, a death in the family two weeks out that really threw things into a tailspin. That you've heard me talk about that here before. I won't rehash that. The overall prep itself wasn't too bad. I mean, the 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 diet was. You know, it, I got a little diet fatigue towards the end. It was okay. I mean, you know, it wasn't the end of the world. Um, cardio, I did okay with it. I mentally approached it pretty well. I did a fair bit of it. I needed to do a fair bit of it. Um, but I had my head wrapped around it. There was a little bit towards the end where it really felt like it was kind of getting to me a little bit. Um, I had a couple days where I, I was trying to finish up my post-workout cardio and I was having a blood sugar drop and I was like, Ooh man, no, thank you. No, thank you. I'm going to go just sit in my car and pass out, please. Um, but yeah, big picture, it wasn't the end of the world. You know, I had some digestive issues going, um, towards the tail end as well. That was certainly, um, caused by stress and created some stress factors as well. Um, that was unpleasant. I would prefer not to have to deal with that again. Uh, but, you know, in the end, I would say overall, that prep was probably a 6 out of 10 as far as total stress. wasn't too bad. But nonetheless, I did that photo shoot, which was for about three hours in the gym. And I went back out to my car, and I just broke down for a good five minutes. <laughs> like, like that that was my sigh of relief. And at that point, so let me tell you also, I, I kind of underestimated how I was feeling at that point. Um, cause I just, I just lost it for a few minutes and then I, whew, okay, get your shit together, bro. Okay. We're here. All right. We're good. Sweet. Let's go get some damn food. Oh yeah, buddy. And so the, the problem was, you know, my, my diet after that kind of got out of control just because I didn't, I wasn't in a very good mental place with food I'm better now for sure. Um, but, uh, I underestimated the overall, adrenal load that that whole prep had taken just with the prep and everything else that was going on as well. Um, and I came out of that feeling pretty good for a handful of days. I'm like, all right, it's growth time. And then man, did things tank in a hurry. Like they, I had a few good workouts fueled by, you know, having, you know, 85,000 calories a day for a few days. Um, and then, you know, started putting on a bit of unwanted weight. Uh, and then the workouts just tanked energy, just tanked. And what became really clear is, man, Homeboy needs break. So I took, uh, it was probably either seven or eight days out of the gym entirely. Um, and then I came back, eased back into it and was feeling good and was able to reset, got the diet back in order. That, that whole process was probably about four weeks or so, I think, to really kind of get recovered. Um, but a lot of it was just, you know, me not having my shit together, not necessarily that I needed to. Uh, in retrospect, what would I have done differently? Um, after that photo shoot, I would have taken a week off completely from the gym, nothing at all. And I would say uh, if you're in a position, cause some people they'll do a show and then they'll go to the gym the next day and just beast that shit out and they continue on. They don't need a break. You know, they'll continue taking a rest day here and there, but they don't need a break. Um, it, it depends on, you know, how you prepped, but also the size of your motor. And what I realized is as I'm getting o older, my motor don't run so good no more. So I, I need a little bit more off time. And so after that prep, I needed more off time than, than I probably would have otherwise. And when I cut next time, I'm going to plan on probably, you know, 10 to 12 days off uh, out of the gym afterwards. Uh, I'm, I'm just kind of thinking about that right now. Again, how that prep goes is going to be totally different. There's a lot of factors that go into that. But I'm just thinking right now with being you know, 42 and feeling, you know, pretty good right now, but I, I feel I get beat up and run down pretty easily as well. I need a little bit more time off, need a little bit more recovery time after a full prep like that, a good solid, you know, maybe not quite a full two weeks, but close to it, um, would be good. Uh, now you're also at risk for a really nasty rebound if you suck at the diet. And, uh, 
so I would encourage people, you don't take that time off from your diet as well. You know, take a day to enjoy yourself and then get back on it. Um, but stay out of the gym. And now that you're not working so hard, the, the reduced calories that you'll be on, they should be a little bit higher than they were at the tail end of your prep, um, should be, uh, should feel a lot more sufficient. You're going to want to, to binge on some stuff for sure. But if you can just kind of keep your shit together and hold off on that and understand that whatever you want, it's going to be there later once you've got a little bit more metabolic resilience built up. Um, coming out of a prep like that, um, you're at risk for putting on a lot of unwanted weight really quickly. So um, the more you can hold your stuff together, the better off you'll be. So time away from the gym, certainly. Time off the diet, like a day you know, day, maybe two, maybe two. It just depends on how much you can trust yourself. You know, I've seen people and worked with people that they don't really care. You know, that's like, yeah, okay. I did a show. Great. I'm going to take a couple days off, but, uh, you know, I, I had, I ate out on Saturday night after the show Sunday, hundred percent back on macros. I'm like, Whoa, that's impressive. All right. And then other people where that show comes and goes, this is a lot more common. They just lose it completely and they go off the rails. They miss their check in the following week. And, uh, then I'm like, hello, what's going on? We need to be checking in. Don't disappear on me now. This is critical time. Uh, that's why most reverse diets failed because they're not adhered to. And uh, also, I like reverse dieting as a general protocol to throw over somebody's head, but oftentimes it's not necessary. You don't need to reverse diet. What you need to do is not suck and binge after your show. And if you avoid doing that, you're going to be fine. You don't necessarily need a really, really complex, restrictive, very conservative reverse dieting protocol. You just need to avoid eating like an asshole for two weeks. That's really all it does. And so a reverse diet for me is most useful for a mechanism to avoid that prolonged binge eating after the show. And so honestly, I'm, I'm giving away trade secrets right now, but uh, so be it. You know, I don't like lying to people or, or selling them a bill of goods or anything like that. I, I, I will, however, tell somebody post-show, like, we need to do this reverse diet and I need you to follow it correctly. You know, reverse dieting is important. What I really mean is, Following some kind of a diet after your show is important. Here's a reverse diet, and you know it's a buzzword, so I try and capitalize on that a little bit and say, "Yeah, you need a reverse diet. Here it is. Uh huh. Just you know, when really all they need to do is just not be a jackass with food. <laughs> That's all it really takes. We don't need to do anything super super crazy. Now, if you do follow a proper reverse diet protocol, it'll pay off really well. It's also exceptionally hard because you've been dieting the whole time. The last thing you want to do after a show is continue dieting for longer. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it will help. It will help. So, uh, Morgan, now what you said here, um, 40 days off, um, starting the off season officially 40 days after you compete. Well, here's the thing. Um, your off season starts the second you're off stage, whether you think it does or not. So the, the question is, when do you become an active participant in that process? Um, it almost sounds here like they're saying um, you need 40 days to recover from a show, to which I would say, bullshit. I've never seen anybody prep so hard that they need 40 days off to recover. Now, you might want to take 40 days for sure. You might be sick of lifting or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, that that is way too much time. Way too much time. Um, unless you've got something going on some extenuating circumstance where your recovery is impacted or something like that. You take 40, 40 days off from a show, um, you are robbing yourself of quality time just because that post-show time, you can rebound negatively, you can also rebound positively. Um, you, can, you can recognize some good gains. So 
one thing that might be really helpful is, you know, kind of like what I did, but a little bit more planned where, you know, post show, you get right back into the gym and you crush it hard for a week and then you take a week off just because coming back in, you know, you're going to have the, the extra calories in your system from the celebration and from what you do the next day as well. Great. Get in some quality workouts, even if it's just three or four sessions, just to help burn through a little bit of that and then take a planned week off from the gym. And I think you do that and you just chill out for a little bit, you follow a diet reasonably well, you're going to feel like you're in such better shape. Um, and realistically, that post-show period should all be about setting up a quality off-season. But Morgan, like I said, that off-season starts as soon as you're off stage. You know, I mean, technically, um, it, it, it starts whether you're involved in it or not. You are officially off-season. Um, now, when does that become a growth phase? Um, and I would say, you know, it, it could immediately become a growth phase. Um, and I don't think there's, there's certainly no, uh, no need for a 40 day break or anything like that. That seems kind of silly. And also there, there are, uh, factors to consider here. If you're a natural athlete or if you're an enhanced athlete, um, just because if you are enhanced, um, you will likely be doing some kind of pre-contest cycle. You will likely be cycling off in advance of the show. Um, and then you may be on a cruise or TRT dose afterwards, or you may be off completely. If you are off completely, I still don't think you need 40 days off. You might need a little bit more time, but realistically what you need is patience. Um, patience with your body and understanding that it's changing. Hormones are recalibrating a little bit. And so just don't go in expecting to continue as if you're on cycle. You know, your recovery is going to be impacted a little bit. Um, so you need to take that into consideration. 40 days, no, you don't need that. Now, it may take 40 days with a proper PCT for everything to kind of get normal again. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you need to just hold off on starting your off season until then. That That's silly. You can get started before then. So hopefully that helps a little bit. It was a great question, though, and really, really worth talking about. So um, let's go in now. We've got some voicemails that we should be tackling here. Um, I've actually got a little bit of a backlog on some voicemails. So let's check it out and see what we got. Hi, this is Roland from Temple, Texas, and I want to know, since you're a true Tool fan, what your favorite song <laughs> is on the new album. Oh, damn, Roland. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. We, we need to tackle this here, so this is important stuff. It's been a while since this album has been released, and I feel like I have just now got enough experience with it to really comment on this, so I'm kind of glad I held off on this for a little while here. So, um, for, for the uneducated out there, Tool released Fear Inoculum back on, what, September oh, 3rd? Something like that? I don't know. Seventh, maybe? Uh, a while back. A couple weeks at this point. So uh, how many times have I listened to it? I don't know. 100, 150? It's hard to say. Some songs more than others. Uh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. I've also really kind of digested some stuff here. I've listened to... Uh, Adam Jones has been on some podcasts lately. I've listened to that. He's told some interesting stories about it. Um, I've checked out some some drum breakdown videos online, um, stuff from Drumeo, where they break down some of the polyrhythms in Invincible, which was really awesome. I've watched a couple of drum covers on YouTube where um, guys like three and four days after the album came out, they were doing full-on drum covers of Numa that were just completely textbook perfect. I'm like, how do you decipher a song like that and be able to reproduce it in in like three days? I'm like, unbelievable. I mean, just the some of the musicians out there in this online community are just absolutely mind-bogglingly good. It's scary. But back to Tool. Um, what I What I've really come to think of is, you know, you think of like the Beatles, and if you think of 
their earlier work, like Please Please Me and stuff like that, and you compare that to Abbey Road and Let It Be, the evolution of that band over a you know little less than 10-year period is just staggering. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, they've always been like the benchmark for me of, of how a band can evolve and progress over time. And now, now Tool is perhaps challenging them for that because you listen to Fear Inoculum and you go back and listen to Opiate and you're like, this is clearly the same band, but holy crap, are they different? Um, and I don't mean that in a negative way at all. Um, I, I listen to Fear Inoculum and I am just absolutely captivated start to finish by everything. It, it is an album that, um, they, they say this about all, all Tool albums, but it takes some time. You got to give it some time. You have to spend some time with it. You have to be patient with it. You know, the songs are long. Um, they're complex. Uh, and it takes more than one listen to really wrap your head around what the whole thing is. Like, you can get into a groove, but to really understand how that groove from this section relates to this other section and how they're making callbacks to earlier work and how all of the songs, they kind of hit on this this common rhythmic theme um, that keeps recurring throughout the album that really comes to a head in Tempest, the last track, um, where they really hammer it home. It's like, man, this is an album that, yeah, it took them 13 years to come out with it, I can see why. And I know they, they were dealing with other things as well, like legal issues. So they weren't just working on that album the whole time. But a lot of the genesis of these songs goes back many years. Like they were playing fragments of these live in concert for years, um, just as like instrumentals that, that became fully fleshed out songs. So they, they'd been in process for a while. And you can see like, man, this stuff feels really mature. Like the, this, the band feels like they have lived in these songs for a while. Um, and so I've, I've watched and digest a whole bunch of footage um, online, and there's uh, many recordings of them doing Invincible and Descending um, in concert uh, over the past you know, six months or so. And there was one that I saw, and um, I just I can't get the image out of my head, and it's during Invincible. And it's, it's panning around the stage, and you can see Justin Chancellor, the bass player, and just watching him even during a section where he's not doing anything. Like, it's just a, a little guitar riff with some drums in the background, and he's just tacit. He's, he's silent, waiting, waiting to enter. And you can just see, watching him move with the music and listening to the other guys on stage, you're like, man, he is so into this in a way that I have never really seen another musician be into their own work on stage before. Like, and just seeing, like, he is obviously like so thrilled to be playing this new stuff. And you can tell like he is in love with it. And I appreciate that. And you can hear that throughout the whole album. So uh, it's spectacular. It really is. Um, favorite track? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go a little basic here and say Tempest just because, you know, it does give you some of that older tool, but also I think it's really well done. It gives you a little bit of that old school Maynard flair as well, which it's really one of the only places on the album where you really hear that um, undertow era Maynard come back a little bit, um, which is, is nice. It's good to hear that he's still got it. I don't need more of it than I got from that song. The rest of it, um, the, the rest of the album is really great. And also that, there's a, a guitar solo in that song that's probably on the order of like four minutes long, and it's like the most slow motion flex of all time from Adam Jones, as basically he's saying, 
yeah, I don't have to be the best guitar player in the world, but I'm creative as shit and listen to this guitar tone. And it is so epic. It's like just listening to it, it just makes me drool. Like it just sounds so phenomenal. And his note choice is just like so picture perfect throughout the whole thing. And it just goes on and on and on. And rhythmically, it does cool stuff. Melodically, it does cool stuff. Really interesting atonal stuff as well. I mean, God, it's just awesome. It's awesome. So anyway, I'm, I'm going to go on the record and say Tempest. Um, Invincible is a close second. Um, I really dig the title track as well. Descending is growing on me more and more. Um, I mean, it's there's Numa. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's all good. It's all good, man. But I appreciate the question and, more importantly, a chance to ramble on about it. So thank you for that. Let's go. What's next? Hey, Darren. This is Nicole from Spokane, and I have two questions totally unrelated to each other. The first one being, if you're doing a front squat and using a reverse grip, What's the purpose for that? Like, why? what's the advantage to having a reverse grip versus a normal grip? Does it use different muscles? Does it push you kind of backward a little bit as you're getting deeper into a squat? Just curious what the mechanics are behind that. Next question is, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, or maybe a lot, oh, yeah. actually, <laughs> about um, the difference between reasons and excuses and how you can tell the difference when you're the one making them. Because that's something that I really struggle with, knowing, like, is this a reason that I should do something or not do something, or is this just an excuse? And I don't know, are there, are there telltale signs or hallmarks of excuses that you can watch for? So um, I'd love to hear you talk about that, and I bet I'm not the only one. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Nicole. So the biggest telltale sign, if you're, if you're giving a, an excuse, is this itching, burning sensation? No. Um, but we'll start with the front squat first. So you said reverse grip, so I'm trying to figure out what that is. Let's talk about grip for a second, first of all. Let's break that down. So um, reverse grip. So let's talk about what that really means. If we're doing a reverse curl, what, what that means is a reverse grip curl. So you're going to do an overhand grip curl. Um, so it, it's a little bit more forearm accentuated. You're not going to do as much weight on that. Um, now, if we're doing a reverse grip pull down, that's actually going to be an underhand grip. So, well, what what is what does that mean? Why 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 isn't reverse grip a consistent thing? Well, those movements are standard, like a curl, a pull down are standard. So, if we're going to do reverse grip, that means that uh, you're just going to do it the opposite of how it normally is. So a reverse grip pull down is going to be underhand versus a reverse curl is going to be overhand. So there you go. So a reverse grip front squat, I will say, I'm not sure what that means. Um, but I will say, uh, you know, let, let me break down what that question means to me. And let me break down then what I think you're actually asking. So for me, a front squat is going to be with palms up towards the sky and supporting the bar that way. That, that is a normal front squat. So then if we were going to do a reverse grip front squat, it would be like grasping the bar with the backs of your hand facing up and forward and your palms down against you, which is a really weird, odd wrist straining grip that I would never recommend under any circumstance. So I will say, technically, a reverse grip front squat is not a thing that should ever be done. But if you're asking, like, why do we normally do a front squat with palms up? Um, it's just about bar support. Um, and it's also one of those things where, yeah, this is one reason why a lot of people can't do this exercise because of a lack, lack of shoulder, elbow, or wrist flexibility and mobility. 
yours truly included in that right here. My shoulders are okay. My elbow flexion is pretty bad. My wrist flexion is really bad. Um, so, you know, if I try to do a, a traditional like Olympic front squat where you're just supporting the bar with fingers, basically fingers just to hold the bar in place on your shoulders, I can't do it. I can't come even close. Uh, if I do that, something's going to snap. And it's not the bar. <laughs> <laughs> but something on me is going to snap. So um, the reason why, though, is uh, it's, it's all about bar support and uh, and keeping your torso upright. So when that grip with that grip, you also have to keep your and to be clear. Also, if you do it correctly, the word grip, we'd have to use like, you know, apply that very loosely because you're not really gripping the bar. You're supporting the bar and you're kind of pinning it in place with your hands. Um, but you're not really gripping it in a traditional sense. And one of the things that I see a lot of people do incorrectly who may have the requisite flexibility to pull the movement off is they do try to grip it. Like they grab the bar with their hands and then they lift it back up and, you know, into position. And no, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it's resting on your fingertips. That's all it is. You got to keep your elbows up as well. Um, and keeping the elbows up is what helps cue the torso to be upright. So it's not so much the grip itself or the hand positioning that's important, but it's, it's one of many things that are important into making that movement work appropriately. So hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. Now, the, the really good question that you have here is reasons versus, versus excuses. So now let me think. I didn't prepare anything for this, so let me see if I can come up with something off the top of my head. Yeah, here we go. I am set to go to the gym, so I'm going to record this podcast. I'm probably going to be done in, I don't, well, I don't know, a few minutes probably. Then I'm going to go upstairs, I'm going to eat, and then I'm going to go to the gym. I got back and biceps on the agenda today. So uh, that is what would happen. Let's say that doesn't happen for some reason. Um, let's say, God forbid that behind me here, Taz starts throwing up and like, I see like he's throwing up blood or something like that. Well, guess what? All that shit's going by the wayside. I'm taking him to the vet and we're going to get him checked out and getting feeling better. Don't worry, buddy. It's okay. It was a hypothetical. You're fine. Um, right. I think he might be upstairs. Actually. He, he's over me in my podcast rantings. He's like, dad, I can't listen to this anymore. Um, <clears throat> that would be a reason. An excuse would be something more like, and this is an extreme example, again, both directions here. An excuse would be like, uh, I am I'm doing fine and then I'm getting ready to leave and I get an email that you know upsets me in some way and it puts me in a bad mood and I'm like, I don't want to go to the gym now. Pfft, screw it. That's an excuse. Suck it up and grow a pair and go to the gym and get it done. Um, that, that is uh, absolutely an excuse. Now there also could be, there's always gray area here. You know me, I'm not one to just live in the extremes. We got to talk about the gray area as well. There can be excuses. And sometimes, you know, the, the idea of, you know, just suck it up and go do it. Sometimes it doesn't work because that is a skill. And, you know, with all skills, some days you got it and some days you don't. So there are some times where you're like, yeah, and don't don't force it in that case. Because if you go in and your head isn't in the game, best case scenario, you're going to have a very ineffective workout. Worst case scenario, you could hurt yourself. Now, I had a, uh, a workout the other day, and this is why I think you need to give yourself a chance and see what happens, where I went in there and I was like doing very uncharacteristic things. I was taking a long time to warm up. I went and talked to somebody at the front desk for five minutes just to stall then I realized I'm stalling because I really don't want to do this workout. You know, I've, I've been in pain all morning. Uh, my pain pill had finally kicked in, but I was just bummed about it. And like, 
fuck this whole situation. I'm just pissed about it. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm irritable. I don't want to be here. I don't want to put myself in more pain, even if it's the good kind of pain doing this workout. It's like, I've had enough. I'm, I'm over it, whatever. And then I said, shut up. Just do a set and, you know, see what happens. And I tell you what, I did one warm-up set and it's like everything changed. And that ended up being maybe my best workout of the week. So you do need to give yourself a little bit of a chance to pull your head out of your own ass because it gets stuck up there really easily sometimes. Um, and if, if you're one of those people who that happens to, you know, you know who you are, you're nodding your head right now. Um, and you just got to give yourself a chance, a fighting chance. Now, Nicole, you had a really good question here. How do you tell the difference? And I have a really easy litmus test, something very easily you can tell yourself. Let's say, um, you, so you're, you're, you're in a routine, you're, you're digging your workouts, diets on point, hitting cardio, hitting the lifts and everything, everything's going good. You've got a friend who starts doing this as well. You're talking to this friend and you hear something from her. Well, let me back up. You've got some kind of something you, you don't know if it's a reason or an excuse. The test is what if it came from her and she was telling you about it? you know, depersonalize it a little bit. It's not you, it's her. It's coming from her. Would you say, get over your damn self, suck it up and go do it? Or would you be like, oh my God, wow. I mean, I would say reasons in our business here, reasons are pretty rare. Excuses are abundant and plentiful. Um, I think your default reaction should probably be this is an excuse. And if it's a reason, I think you'll know. Um, I think that that's pretty fair pretty fair. I'm um, just because, I mean, you're coming from a guy who's like the king of excuse makers. I'm really good at it. I'm really good at it. And it's one of the reasons why right now I'm, uh, I'm 240 off season instead of 240 contest ready. <laughs> so, you know, uh, excuses will hold you back. They absolutely will. My excuses have held me back and have slowed me down over the years for sure. They absolutely have. So, um, but I think it's pretty easy and just depersonalize it hear it from somebody else, you know, whatever you're telling yourself is maybe a legitimate excuse, put those words in somebody else's mouth and they're, they're talking to you and they're, they're spewing that. What's your reaction? Do you roll your eyes? If you roll your eyes, that is an excuse, my friend. That is an excuse. That's it. That's all there is to it. You don't need to complicate it any more than that. So, whoo. Okay. We're catching up here. We're catching up. Um, I have more messages, but I, I want more still. So uh, the call-in number, as you know, 865-518-2974. Hit me up online, facebook.com slash physique, uh, Instagram at Darren underscore star. Email me, Darren at fivestarfitness.com. Go to thedropset.com. We didn't even talk about the poll. The poll has, is showing some interesting results. Let's talk about it briefly here. This is at thedropset.com. You can go and you can still vote on it. The next poll, as I mentioned before, will be a, uh, a place where you can vote on the new logo for the drop set. As soon as I have those ready, they will be posted. So uh, the question uh, the poll is asking right now, have you competed before? There's four options here, but basically it's no or yes or I'm going to um, is how I would divide it here. And it's interesting, 88% of people have competed or plan to. Only 12% haven't competed and don't plan to. So uh, it breaks down to, you know, uh, what exactly 50% have either once or many times, 38% 
are, are planning on it or thinking about it. Only 12% um, are not interested. So interesting results there. I'm, I'm kind of surprised by that. I thought it would be a, a much more uh, even split. Based on my clientele, it's more about like 50-50 competitors and non-competitors. So, um, or or I would I would categorize it the same way. Um, people who have or want to compete and those who don't. It's about a 50-50 split among my clientele. So pretty interesting. Pretty interesting here. So um, that's all I got. I'm going to, um, I'm going to peace out and I'm going to go eat and then I'm going to go train back and, uh, biceps, maybe even post something on social media for the love of God. I feel like myself once again, finally, um, I'm going to try and enjoy today. Um, I'm going to, uh, go to the show in Chattanooga tomorrow, support Jesse, try and enjoy Sunday as best I can, and then freak the fuck out on Monday morning when it's time for my root canal. So, um, to all of my Monday clients, I apologize. I will likely get to you. I actually have no idea what to expect and how I expect I will feel after this, uh, procedure on Monday. Uh, but I will still, as of right now, I'm planning on doing check-ins on Monday. Uh, so we will see how it goes. Um, I apologize in advance if I'm either really unhappy or irritable or if you can't understand me because everything is numb and I can't really control my jaw. So um, it is my uh, my upper quadrant, however. So it's been my experience from past procedures that when they numb your lower jaw, that, that creates a little bit more mush mouth syndrome. So I think I'll be okay for the most part. Mm. Uh, podcast on Monday? I don't know. It depends on if I can... Uh, uh, keep myself from throwing up that morning. It depends. Uh, right now I'm thinking maybe not, but we'll see how it goes. Who knows? So anyway, I appreciate you listening, putting up with me through this, this bullshit, um, phase here where I am like really off my game, but I do feel a lot better today. So I appreciate all the messages that people have sent to my, uh, rambling, whining, whinging crap that I've put up in my uh, Instagram and Facebook stories. Thank you for your concern. I am alive at the very least. And I don't think I'm not going to look up the statistics because I don't want to be scared, but I don't think anyone has ever died from a root canal. And if I Google that and find out that somebody has, boy, I'm not going to be a happy camper and it's going to ruin my weekend. So if anybody does that research for me, I will kindly say, please keep it the fuck to yourself. Thank you very much. So once again, I appreciate you listening. Uh, I'll be back uh, sometime soon, I hope. Pray for me. Bye.